This is the Integrative Entrepreneur Podcast, where it's not what you do, but how you do it. This is a podcast for entrepreneurs brought to you by entrepreneurs. We have been building a multi-million dollar healthcare business for over 10 years, and we have weaved together some of the best information for the people that are doing the best work in the business. This includes Dr. Martini, who is a master in human behavior, to Vern Harnish, who has created the methodologies of scaling up that has scaled many, many of the best businesses that we all know of. We want you to not only have a business that you love, but also a life that you love. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Integrative Entrepreneur, hosted by the Institute for Integrative Wellness. So I'm super excited to have our special guest here today. Uh, so Dr. Anthony is someone that I have been in touch with, I guess, what would you say, like a year now? We've kind of kept in contact, maybe longer? Yeah, that's long enough, like three, four, maybe. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, but I guess we talked a while back and uh, we were kind of showing each other our labs and going through it because of our functional medicine background and focus. And uh, through that time, though, he has uh, become the founder of a pretty big company called Perfect Keto. And it's been really awesome and exciting to see him embark on that and grow it to see what it is today. And that was one of the big things that I wanted to feature here on the podcast is as practitioners uh, or as entrepreneurs in general, you know, we start somewhere, especially as practitioners, we learn nothing about business. We often flounder for, you know, months, maybe years. And we look at these big businesses and we're like, wow, like, how do they do that? Like, how do you grow that? How do you manage that? And at least I can say that that's something that I have pondered. So I'm super excited to be able to hear about your journey and, you know, the, the trial, the error, the good and the bad, and really uh, share that with our audience so that they can learn from, you know, that experience going from practitioner to, you know, entrepreneur of, you know, I guess you would classify it as an e-commerce site, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, if we're talking about mistakes, I think we're not <laughs> than the time of recording, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your background because you have a unique background from practitioner to, you know, entrepreneur of this company. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was growing up, I knew I wanted to be involved with healthcare. I was just really sick and overweight when I was younger. Um, a lot of my family as well, sort of central Minnesota, classic standard American diet, no activity, uh, just a recipe for disaster. Um, so <laughs> I mean, I just, when I started figuring that stuff out, I knew I wanted to be involved in healthcare. Um, then I figured, so my dad owns his own business and I knew that that was also the path that I wanted to take, which was sort of to have my freedom to be able to set my own schedule, do my own things and not, you know, sort of work for a large company or business. And when I chatted with a lot of our family friends who are physicians or in healthcare in general, most of them who worked you know, as a surgeon, as this or that, or basically saying like, hey, working at a hospital is essentially working at this giant thing. And so sort of looked at how I wanted to practice, which is be more preventative and help people with things to actually get them better instead of just patching them up, as well as running my own business. And from that sort of at end of high school, I realized that Cairo, the DC program was sort of the really the only path that I saw that sort of fit all of those things for me. Um, so did that and so it was sort of on a fast track. And did undergrad a couple of years, three years, and then did Cairo school straight through with a master's in sports rehab. So I knew I wanted to focus on athletes and sort of high end population with the mindset of like, if I can work with sort of the best of humans, as far as physical performance, I would learn from that and sort of help trickle that down to the rest of the population. And so when I got out of school, this was in 2012, so when I graduated, um, I went down to San Francisco. Um, I just wanted to stay in the West Coast. There's no particular reason why I chose that area other than that way. Like I, I don't know, at that time, I think that like sort of this glow of Silicon Valley and being in, in the Bay Area was was really um, magnetic. And so I went down there and opened, opened up my clinics. And what I realized very quickly is that even though I really enjoyed working with people one-on-one -on -one and getting my chops from a clinician standpoint, my favorite time that I spent working was actually building the clinic systems, the, the process, the, the systems, and like having this machine that sort of runs 
without me, without me being there. I think that what happens is a lot of times the clinician sort of thinks like, oh, my job is just like to be there all the time. And when I'm not there, nothing should happen. And there's no other thing that I need to do. I go there, I see, I see people, I treat them and then I leave. And I am more so like building something that lasts without me being there. Um, so that was sort of something that I, that I certainly learned early on. But within two years, 2014, we had six locations doing primarily musculoskeletal work. And, you know, sports injuries, things like that. There's a lot of people in San Francisco who are really, you know, they're the hard charging sort of weekend warrior type, but also work a lot, uh, super fit population. But, you know, people who are smart, affluent, et cetera. And it was challenging for me, at least, to figure out a way in, like, in practice where I could, like, I could get their knee pain or back pain or wrist pain to go away pretty easily. But having them build a framework for the life around how they should be healthy and approach things from like a integrated holistic way, not just, oh, I need to start doing these things when I'm sitting at my desk for forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I sort of came up with this model of how I thought about things regarding nutrition, movement, sleep, and sort of community and stress management. And I just knew that it was just repeating the same things over and over and over again to my patient population. I always felt like, I don't know. Not necessarily like it wasn't enough for me, but it was like my my impact was extremely limited. Yeah, and so I started yeah. writing articles online um, and that grew. And then I was like, oh man, the, the internet is cool. Like this thing exists where I can write, write something and thousands of people, you know, tens of thousands of people can read this whenever they want long after I've written it. Yeah. Um, so I started focusing on that a little bit, little bit more. And that's sort of what segued over time to where I'm at now, which is not practicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess dumb very dumb now from a clinician standpoint like where I used to be but really invest into like how can I impact people and take that framework in my mind of what I want to do all along which is help people be healthier and do that in different and more creative ways and so that, that's always changing for me so I have a question about this and I swear this podcast everyone is for my own benefit by the way <laughs> so my question is that so knowing what you know now and going through all of the hoops to grow perfect keto to the capacity that it is thinking back to being a practitioner and then obviously finding that your passion was you know the the business and the building side of things do you like what is your words of wisdom from a capacity of can you be a practitioner and still grow your company and be the ceo obviously with, you know, not necessarily being in the office seven days a week, or do you feel that if you want to grow your company to a large capacity, that it's virtually impossible to stay as an active practitioner in your clinic? I think you can do both, but I think you need to be realistic about where you invest your time. They're they're two very different skill sets. I think that the person who gets used to treating people, you know, I was doing, when I first got out of school, like six, six and a half days a week. And it was just, it was nonstop. And that was from, you know, I was seeing patients from like 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. doing notes on top of that and trying to run the business also. And so like, as I was like, okay, I want to focus on the business. I sort of stripped away those days slowly and slowly. I think you can have a blend and do a few days a week of patient care. And then also a few days a week of running your business. If you want to actually be the one who runs the clinic in the business, you don't have to have that mindset and be, be doing both. And I think that I don't want my story to mean that anybody who's listening to this thinks that they should do that path. There's plenty of people who are really great clinicians who love that one-on-one time. I really like working in a, in a very different way and building things that last without me. And so that's a sort of a very different approach. Some people like both of those things. And if that's the case, you know, I guess that it's certainly possible. Although I don't think that the full nine to five patient schedule every single day while also running a bit and scaling a business is sustainable. I mean, I think that you can add extra hours in the day, but then you just have a really (laughs) imbalanced life and you burn out like I did. So exactly. So that kind of um, brings me to, to the next question is that, you know, regardless if you're the person who's going to split your time and do less patient hours and grow the business, or if you're the person that is just going to focus on the growth of the business, uh, when you, you know, when you were going through these, you know, steps, 
I guess what would what happened that you knew, okay, I needed to hire certain people and how did you choose? And I have no idea if you had strategy at this time or you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I had better strategy. But you know, who did you hire sooner than later to start getting Perfect Keto off the ground? For my clinic system or for Perfect Keto? No, for Perfect Keto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just a very needs-based thing. And so, I mean, we started, we hired somebody really, really quickly to help with just all the admin stuff. So the way I think about all business, you know, in general is like, I want to sort of master, figure out, take apart how something works mm-hmm. and then figure out how to put it back together that works best for the business. And then after that, systemize it and hire somebody who can, who can maintain that. And so sometimes where you're at, maybe you not have, don't have enough revenue or profit to be able to outsource those things you know, as far as full-time roles. So I've had other businesses where I've hired, you know, outsourced people from the Philippines versus just contractors in the U.S. And it just, I guess, depends on the amount of work that you do have. And like, it's a balancing act of like, where do you want to invest your money as well? And so, that, I mean, the same thing that I did in my clinic, which was I, as soon as I started, it was, okay, how do we onboard people? Like, what is this process like? And I just think about the visit as, as a whole as sort of, a product and I, you know i was thinking about this like, like how can the product be as be- as best as a human can be and when someone like walks into the like obviously how do they find you how do they schedule something what is the intake like when they come in how are they greeted all this stuff so i just think through the product as an offering first come up with you know here's a system how to do this here's what you say here here's this form there and so hiring for that was the, the first position and then for perfect keto is the same exact thing so as we launched the company um, you know, we had products and the whole goal there was to educate people about a ketogenic diet. It was something that I was using a lot in my clinic and there were no products to help people with it. There was no information and there were no relationships or community built. And so those are the three things that I wanted to focus on. And so the same thing of like, if somebody, if the problem that they have is they want to try a ketogenic diet, whether that be for fat loss, performance or mental performance or whatever it is, um, how can we give them the best package where they can solve their problem as fast as possible and so as soon as i dug into that i was like okay we need to have content this is how the content needs to be written and researched etc here's how we're going to get in touch with people who are maybe writing about this otherwise and build a community here's how we do product etc and launch and scale and do marketing that way and so diving in sort of figuring out what makes sense what's the most impactful thing you can do systemizing it and then once you have a bucket of these things handing it off to capable people and then letting them run with it i think that's another you know thing too like my way is not always the best way, but at least at first, like having to understand everything that happens in the company for a, a long time is really essential. It's interesting because it sounds like it was slow and steady. Like you were really careful about deconstructing, reconstructing, and making sure that things made sense and had strategy behind them, which I think is so huge because just from my own experience as a business owner, I am like the action taker, get stuff done. And I want it done yesterday, which has caused me to do so much more work and not get as far as I should with the amount of work being put in. So what'd you say? I still have that problem. (laughs) But I love the, the intent and the strategy behind that of, you know, taking that time. And I think that that's just so important for people to understand that our practitioners that are listening, because, you know, you really do have to know the ins and outs of all the positions in your business. And you can tell me if you feel differently about it, but I do think it's so important to break down the, the procedures and break down the operations and to really understand how to get every position or department working to its best capacity of course it evolves but it's really trying to create that foundation yeah the foundation is the most important part and like now the business like we just hired a ceo so i'm stepping down in that role he's pretty much trained up but for instance he's been on for i don't know three months and he doesn't know what some of the roles even do on a day-to-day basis and so like i think that when there's certain levels um regarding like you know he has a an executive team and then those people have a hierarchy sort of like what's management i think we're like 40 some people like it's not that critical to know every single thing that's going on in your business at all times and i think that once you're building the foundation and get to a point certain point then the whole you know business as an organism can evolve without you 
having to shape it and shift it in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's a really exciting point, exciting point. But for me, that's also the point that's sort of like, oh, I'm sort of, if, if this thing is going the direction I want it to go and I don't have to put these inputs in, then it, like, I just want to go do something else. And that's sort of like what happened with my clinic in the first place as well. So it was at a point where when we were at six locations and we had all the stuff systemized, onboarding new clinicians, treatment protocols, onboarding, marketing, everything was going exactly as it needed to, to go. Mm-hmm. I was sort of like, okay, like I'm, I'm kind of irrelevant at this point. And that once it gets to that point, I just, the way my brain works, I like to take on a new challenge and, and try a different problem. And so that's mm-hmm. sort of like where, where I was at. And one of the things that shifted my mentality from clinic to scalable businesses. And that's where I'm at now again, you know? So I, yeah, I got to a point with, with this whole business where, you know, it took three years to scale it. And instead of point now where I think it still has a lot more potential, but in general, a lot of the area it needs to go is just like, I'm not interested in, which is retail and in scaling the more traditional CPG company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, you know, it, I can step away for three months and come back and people like, I don't need to manage anybody to hold what we have as far as an ethos of the company, which is put out the best clean products possible. It's how people get off sugar and vegetable oil and create the best content possible where people can learn from it if they want to do something that looks like a ketogenic diet. That's awesome. I just want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Purium, who makes the highest quality organic and non-GMO superfoods on the market. Everything is grown with love and intention and dehydrated raw and living at 60 degrees Fahrenheit to maintain its nutrient density. Check out ishopperium.com and use our code IWG to get $50 or 25% off your order. So... I have two questions, but we'll start with one. <laughs> um, going back to the clinic, I'm curious because obviously a lot of our followers are practitioners, some type of healthcare practitioner, and definitely many chiropractors as well. But when it comes to hiring doctors, firing doctors, um, and and really just managing your team of practitioners in your practice. Do you have any words of wisdom of, you know, how, what does that look like? Is it having a lot of consistency between the practitioners, um, having them, you know, scripted, talk the same talk, giving them some level of flexibility or freedom? Uh, You know, is it really just come down to, you know, give the patient the best care possible? You know, it sounds like your practices were very, um, they had really solid operations. So I'm just curious about that. Because I feel like doctors, they, depending on where they went to school and their belief systems, there's a lot of variability, you know, between what they believe is best for the patient. Totally. Yeah. So I think that with a lot of stuff, systemizing and just reflecting on things is the biggest possible advantage you can have as a business owner. And what people don't typically do is sit and reflect, like, what is the point of this business? Is it, whether that be a clinic or, a, you know, an online, like an econ business, like, what is the point of this business? And then like, what are our values? I think once you start there, you can put a nucleus. And then on top of that, overlay a systemized and an always evolving process of how do we hire and train people that fit with that goal and those values. So my goal as a clinic system was I want to help people with sports injuries or musculoskeletal pain. And our values with that are, you know, we buy into this movement system or like think that movement should be X, Y, or Z and like sort of have these underlying threads that inform our goals and like how we get there. Mm-hmm. Then you can go out and sort of fit people in. But even when you do that, I think like reflecting like, okay, we hired somebody, didn't go well. You know, Ray Dalio has this thing of like pain plus uh, reflection equals progress. And that's really important when, you know, you're, you're going to hire wrong people, even if you have goals and values set. And it doesn't matter for any business. I think this is like a really, really important thing that you look back and say, did that go well or not? And if not, what can we do better? Have a system for it and update it and update your, your models and your principles. Uh, but I think that what a lot of people don't do is they don't define the goals and they don't define the values. And so he was like, oh, well, some, somebody who's good at treating people. It's like, well, okay, like if we, if we had that sort of mentality, must go skeletal stuff, and we brought in somebody who's really good at gynecological exams, it's like it's never going to work well because <laughs> that, that's going to be a really weird offering. The business is going to start to fissure in really weird ways. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that getting clear on your priorities of like this organism that I'm building, this 
this thing that, that I'm working on as a business, what are the goals, what are the values and how do people fit into that? Yeah. So do you adhere to, you know, the saying that you hire slow, fire fast? Uh, hire fast, fire fast. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I mean, awesome. yeah, yeah, obviously be intentional and don't, and don't hire sloppy people and just because you're desperate for sure, be, be intentional. But yeah, I think that like, there's a lot of different areas too, or if you're, you know, looking at an organization, like I, I don't think that a rule applies to every single person. So some stuff right now, like certain, for instance, I'm just trying to get some, some of the open roles we have at Perfect Eater, like a copywriter, for example, we can get somebody on, like we can, if we find somebody who we think may fit and we, we spend a couple hours vetting them and get them in for a month contractor position, then if they work out long-term, great. But if we try to spend four months finding the, the perfect person, you know, the opportunity cost is just of, of spending time on that is just very high. Whereas for finding the CEO who took over for me, like very, very slow process. So I think there's like a spectrum of, of roles that you put on mm-hmm. and the importance of getting them on fast because they can do something critical for the company needs to be done that's not totally like a like a linchpin in the business. So if they mess something up in an email in copywriting versus, you know, <laughs> they overspend $5 million or something, like those are two very different problems and irreversible problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it totally depends on the role. So what made you decide to hire a CEO externally opposed to internally? So we wanted somebody, I mean, everyone that we had hired internally at Perfect Keto, we've basically trained from what we learned. And I think that the important thing for me going into this industry of making products that people consume is doing things in a very non-traditional way. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of ran and marketed things as a tech company first, which is very different. And so all of the sort of the industry people come from large food companies or, you know, just have this really weird old sense of how to market things. Well, we're not at a stage where we, all of that is sort of codified and we're in a really good position where that's sort of the e-com growth is happening without any other attention other than like who's running right now. What we needed was somebody who has ran a large organization and has also gotten into and scale into re- retail several times. And so CEO that we brought on is really, really excellent at the stage we're at which is about focusing on details, on compliance, you know, all the boring stuff that is required to sort of get to the next level that I hate, he loves. And so that type of stuff of like the direction, like we need to plan right now, like where are we going to be in five years from now? And how are we going to slowly get our way there? I mean, sort of this thing, like as a business grows, it's kind of like a, you know, it goes from a speedboat where you can shift wherever you want, sort of like, oh, let's go over here, then over here to a cruise ship that, or like a large tanker that you have to sort of be very careful about where you do, where you direct the boat because it takes a long time to shift course. And that's sort of like where we're at now just because of the size of the business. So it's just very different skill sets. And maybe in five years, um, the company will grow him. Who knows? Maybe he'll adapt to it. There was nobody who had that experience that, you know, wanted to take that on who is internal. So, yeah. So I, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, um, businesses they always say you know there's a fear around hiring an external ceo because the you know the internal people that have been there for long periods of time won't you know they won't necessarily have as much respect because they haven't worked their way up or they don't know enough about the business have you had that experience or did you have a process to negate that experience yeah i mean it's been a sort of a slow onboarding process he started with early May, he started early February. And I think it's just over the last couple of weeks is when he's sort of been really been taking the reins. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, he fits so tightly with our values that it's just not a problem. And I think that again, like when you have the goals and the values really, really set, it just makes that so much easier. Um, it, that in our culture has just been so reinforced over the last three years that, you know, I've seen him not necessarily make decisions that are not good for the business, but you throw out ideas and, and 15 people will go, oh, no, no, that's not how we do things at this, at this company because of X, Y, or Z reason. And so like our, our culture is so tight and our values are so tight and communicated so frequently that it's, uh, and he aligns with those. So like everyone's going to have a little bit of a mismatch here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I have no problem so far. And he's actually that. been additive in a lot of ways for culture too. So I love it. Great. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people with, smaller companies that don't understand 
the value of goals and knowing your values, knowing the company's values and culture. And, you know, I know in my personal journey, I went through a pretty significant road bump with completely losing the culture in my practice. And it is something that once it's gone, it's a mess <laughs> and it takes significant work to get it back, but it is, you can get it back. And I'm just curious with, you know, what are some of the, the practices that you guys are enforcing on a day-to-day -day basis? They could be the most simple things that are constantly reinforcing the culture. Yeah, I think a growth mindset is, is a really huge one. And so whether that's internally from like what you're doing from a task versus like your mindset of how you approach your life in general, just having this thing where you like basically you want to improve and to improve, you test them, you have an idea, a hypothesis, you test that thing, you look at the results and then either do it again or go elsewhere with a new idea. And I think that that mindset is really, really, really strong. And I think that that's, what's a, that, that's what allowed us to scale so fast in the beginning because as keto was exploding, we just, everyone was so relentless about how we learned that learning, you know, can learning me communicate in a lot of different ways, but I think that this like strict growth mindset was very, very different than a lot of other businesses in our industry. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, that's a giant one. And I think that that comes along with, you know, we have tons of ideas around like how an organization should be ran, um, run and how people should approach their work. And so, you know, this goes all the way down to, you know, I, we were very prepared for this pandemic and that we wanted to have people know how to work very, very well on their own and not have to have meetings and be in person. So remote work for us has always been something that we've encouraged, even if people were in the same city, to go, go away for a month. Like if you can structure your day, and I know this is impossible for people who like are doing service-based businesses, so it's really challenging, but if you can structure your day in a company where you can remove yourself and not and get all his you need to get done and still move the ball forward in a chaotic environment, like nothing will stop you anywhere else. Mm -hmm. This is why we encourage people to work, like go travel somewhere else and work somewhere else for a month. Like go to Columbia and work for a month there. Like totally great. And then, you know, if they can switch up their routine and have everything be really, really tight and use our systems, then it just puts stress on the system before it needs to stress. And so we've always wanted to do that at different stages to sort of make sure people can handle this stress in measured ways so that way when things actually do get stressful we're very resilient and know where to go and, and know what our capacities are that's awesome yeah that's i think is really really huge uh because right now with the pandemic a lot of practices even if they are primarily not doing hands-on care and they are focusing more on you know consultations more of the functional integrative world i think a lot of them chose to shut down their practices because they didn't have any level of structure when it came to remote work. And I think a lot of people are learning from that right now and realizing that this is something that can be done, number one. And number two is it's if you are trying to micromanage your team, oh, get on a call, oh, did you do this? Then that's a sign that you possibly don't have the right you know, operations uh, in place. Yeah. And, you know, some people work really well in different environments and we just have been very strict about that. And if somebody struggles when remote work or they've never done it before, like, I mean, that's in the interview process for us, it's really challenging for us to make the call to bring them on. Like they have to be really strong in other areas. Mm -hmm. And some people really like working in an office with people. Some people hate it. Yeah. I'm one of those people. Like, I, I don't like having a lot of distractions. I mean, I think that me was in my office yesterday. No one's been in there for the last six weeks. It's been amazing. And there was, you know, five people in there yesterday. And even having people like walking around and being in my visual field distracts me. <laughs> but you should just know that as an individual and optimize for that. And yeah. there's different fits of people for, for different reasons. And if you want to build a culture where everybody's in person and, and has a very different vibe, it's totally fine. And yeah. these things are just, that's why there's, you know, values of the organization itself. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I think that was, that's what makes it so cool is that, you get to build this thing that over time just keeps adding and evolving and getting more and more interesting. Yeah, no. And I think that that is important is that companies should know that some of you are going to be more attracted to having, you know, that office environment. And then others are going to want to have more of that remote business. 
it's funny because for myself, I, um, I went away for a month and I worked remote and I was like, yes, this is going to be a dream. I'm never coming back. And I was like, I don't know if I love this. It was very eye-opening to me. I definitely love the freedom and the ability to, you know, travel and still, you know, work and go for extended amounts of time. But there is an aspect of me that I gets really excited about, you know, the human interaction and being around a lot of people. I laughed when you said, like, I'm distracted when people are in my visual field because people always are like, how do you concentrate? Like I go to coffee shops where there's a million people and I thrive. <laughs> so it's so interesting how different people's brains are. But you know what's strange about that is that I, I in the same way. And I think like working in airports and coffee shops or wherever is no problem and I can focus. But something to do with like when it's, when I know it's like my team member, yeah. they can come ask me anything or like, I don't know, it's, just, it's a different thing for me. And I, I, I hate it. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, no, I could see that though, because you're the boss. Everybody's like, hey, can I get you just for like a second? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not things, more. <laughs> it's, uh, it's things that I never really thought about, but even our operations manager, she's like, you know, people just, they want a little attention from you and I'm like really why <laughs> and she's like they just do <laughs> and I'm like oh okay <laughs> yeah. uh, so something that I wanted to ask you in relation to you know growing your company um you know obviously everybody's situation is different but I don't know I, I'm just curious your feedback on the idea of if you need to, you know, raising capital or using investors, or is it best to try to fund your business on your own? I'm curious, like what your feedback is about that. I, again, very personal preferences. Yeah. I prefer to always have your own capital and like fund the business on your own. I think that just, there's more skin in the game there and you have to prove out earlier on that you have a business model that actually works. And I think that we're, we've sort of like gotten away from the idea of what a business actually is in 2020. I think a lot of companies right now are hurting dramatically because of it, where the, the point of a business is to make, make money. Yeah. And I think that's a taboo thing to say. Does, that does not mean that shareholders get paid out a ridiculous amount of cash. You know, it can, sure, that example can exist. But if you don't make more money than you spend, you will go out of business. And when you raise other people's money, you can play this game where you don't actually have to prove out a business model of, you know, there's this fictional thing of a runway. Yeah, I like it, it's insane to me to think like, you know, we, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go negative for the next twelve months before we have to go get more money and spend that. It's like no, no. The point of a business is to be profitable, yeah. to have pro to generate a profit, and then you get to choose as a business owner. Okay, what do we do with that profit? Do we invest it here? Do I take that out to, to pay for my kid's college? Do I like, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Like you get to choose, but the more times and the more money you take from other people, the more you have to be beholden to what they want to do with the profit when you have it. But also the whole goal, goals and the values and all this other stuff that you get from shaping your own business, those also get obliterated because now the investors are speaking in your ear, they're controlling things. And I think that at the point we're at right now, like I was saying, like our, our stuff is so tight and we're, so, we're such a large company at Perfect Keto where like we, we could take money now if we wanted to or needed to and not compromise on those things because we have leverage. But a lot of times people, they're desperate in the beginning and they want to, you know, they think it's a shortcut. They're like, oh, if I had 100K more, 300K more, whatever amount more, then I'll get to where I want to be faster. Yeah. And that's just a complete illusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, it's my opinion. And there's a lot of examples of companies who have raised money and done really well for the investors, for the owners, et cetera. But I am not a fan. Um, I've refused invest investment dollars in every business I've ever done. And I've still to date and have not raised a dollar. Um, and that's just the way I like to do it. I'm a little old school that way. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that that is, is huge. And you know, I think that even if someone is going to borrow the same way you have to have this master roadmap, if you're not borrowing, you really need to, if you're going to borrow as well, because you have to it, make something of the money that you're borrowing and not look at it as, you know, oh, I just got this money and 
you know, keep my fingers crossed, hope for the best. Well, yeah, that's why I think like if people want to take out debt, that's a different thing than getting like raising capital from investors. And, you know, there was, there's points where in, you know, the first business I started before Perfect Keto, that was an econ business called Equip Foods. And man, like I, I maxed out my credit cards to start that business. And it took a while to figure out how to get profitable with it. But then when I did, like, I like, oh, now I know how to do this. And like, it forced me, like, it was all the money I had at that time. Yeah, I didn't put, pay off any of my student loans. I was like living in San Francisco, trying to scale. And like all the money was going back from the clinics and the clinics and I wanted to start this as a business. Everything was on credit cards. It was in a massive amount of debt. But then I got out of that. And then when we launched Perfect Keto, we were profitable day one and have been since. Uh, so I think that there's just a, you know, different level of appetite for, for a lot of people to have, have debt on, on themselves. Uh, I like that sort of skin in the game mm-hmm. and the pressure forces me to perform. Uh, not for everybody though. Makes sense. So you've had a lot of different companies. You've worn a lot of different hats and I'm curious, you know, as the, you know, the founder and you were the CEO at one point as well, but what are some things that you feel that it is not a good idea to delegate to your team or even your CEO at this point? What are things that you feel are the absolute necessity of the founder of the company? And that entirely depends on your skills and what you're great at. I think I'm just really, really talented at figuring out how people interact with the product and what they get out of it and solving problems from like a high level. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the thing that I'm still most intimately involved in is, is our product pipeline. And for other people, maybe it's completely different. Maybe it's, you, you know, some savant at marketing and that's all they want to do. And that's in sort of, that's the case. But even still, I mean, I think that there's, you can always train somebody what you know. And that's sort of been the biggest challenge for me is being able to extrapolate and codify all of the things in my head of like what makes a good product good and mm-hmm. a good brand good. And like, how do I put that in the words and teach somebody else my view on it? Cause so much of that stuff just comes automatic to me. I don't even have to think about it. I'm like, Oh, this is good. Or this is bad. And like, yeah. Oh, we're going with this direction and not direct that direction. And when you're a smaller business and you are able to control that stuff, you can just get away with, with continually doing that. Whereas I think when you have more and more people in the organization and when you're trying to pull yourself out of it actively, you really need to focus on how you're communicating what you don't know that you know. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Communication is huge. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So I know that one time when we were chatting, uh, we were obviously talking about your move and, you know, we talked about how you hired the CEO and we didn't dive too deep into the conversation, but you just said, you know, got burnt out and now I'm just making a change. So I'm curious, you know, your, your feedback to the audience about work-life balance and if there is a such thing, um, if there's, you know, a time and place for everything is, is it accurate to say that you're going to work your butt off maybe in the beginning of your business? And then you're able to take those steps back as you hire and acquire your team, or maybe that's not accurate at all. So I'm just curious, what is your feedback about that work-life balance from the start to the growth to, you know, to where you are now? Yeah, it was a delicate balancing act, huh? <laughs> I think that this sort of tolerance for a work-life balance and like what you want to get out of life is something that evolves for every person and is different for everybody at every different like stage in their life. And for me, I was like very hungry in the past for acquiring skills as far as like, oh, I want to know how to run a business more. I want more financial freedom. I want, want you know, X, Y, or Z. And that drove me towards a, a sort of a mindset of output. And this, I mean, this is a, could be a very long conversation about why I think the, this happened in the first place, but it's just, I think that I sort of focused on doing my entire life and like being a very driven person and like what what kind of output am I getting versus being as a human being and like I think that I just like if I would have known what I know now about just existing and enjoying life as a human maybe I would have approached things in a mo- much more sustainable way mm-hmm. and that a business that I was talking about before equip foods which is like sort of the in, in between of my clinic and perfect keto so I actually just took that business back over and have been just sort of playing around with it and be like oh 
this can be done by not not having to pound my head into the ground every single day and putting in 12 to 16 hour days all the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like there is sort of a inputs to outputs equation here where like the more you put into it, most times you'll get more out of it until that doesn't work until you reach a point of diminishing returns until you start burning yourself out. And like, I think that it's a, it's for me has been like a really difficult thing to spot until I'm a couple months away from it or it takes some serious time off. Like when you're in it, it's really hard to see. Mm-hmm. And that's the trick that I think a lot of other entrepreneurs get caught up in is they want to do these things they get motivated for a certain reason. Then it's one, two, five years later and they don't even realize they're at a point where they're, not prioritizing their health, not prioritizing their relationships, just not making any time for themselves outside of work. I think that the danger there is that you get into a, a little bit of a, a unified identity where if work doesn't go well one day, well, then your day sucked and you have nothing else to fall back on. And so sort of what I'm working on now is more so diversifying my identity and like how I think about myself, my place in the world and the things that I care about. And so instead of like if we have a bad day at work, but I have this amazing relationship and like I can go have a good workout or I can go outside and enjoy the weather and like all these other things. Well, then I've sort of insulated myself from this wild roller coaster that I like am sort of sick of riding right now. And I think that I can get back to that and, and run a company a very different way. I don't, I don't know like who knows if it's possible. I mean, like we've in the three years perfect years history. I think we did like $120 million in revenue and like have grown like crazy. And I got, is that possible without being obsessed and working 14 plus hours a day? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I guess we'll see next business I take on what, what happens. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the transparency with that. You know, it's, it's definitely, you know, we go into a mindset of work your butt off, work your butt off. And, you know, we do forget what life is supposed to be, but I think that sometimes it's, maybe it's just timing. Maybe, you know, you're going to have bouts of time that you're working hard and other times that there's more play and other times that it's more balanced. Uh, I'm sure that it looks different for everyone and, you know, where they're at and what they're trying to accomplish. But I'm very much a growth mindset as well. And I don't know, I, I always ask myself the question, like, am I, am I making this up that I get really fulfilled by always being in that growth mindset and doing things that are helping me to, to move towards those goals. And then I was like, I don't know, would somebody just call me a workaholic? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally get you. And I, and I experienced that as well. And like, I, I took an entire month off last December to just like figure out what that question was. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm certainly just a workaholic at this point. <laughs> Although like I do enjoy building things and, and now I have a, a much clearer picture for me of what what is fulfilling to me and so now when i'm working in a day that i can look at it and be like okay i can choose what are the things that add to my plate instead of taking away instead mm-hmm. of just being, work is work it's all under this bucket now i can categorize it and understand oh i want to do this because of a certain reason yeah yeah no it's i think that taking that step back and reflection and clearing your mind, detaching is usually when we get the most clarity. And it's just like, I think it's so essential. A lot of us don't take the time to do it. Yeah. And I think that when there's guilt, if it's, you know, 11 a.m. on a Saturday, you're not on your laptop checking something and that that's when you know you've gone a little too far for me at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I am married to a guy who's similar mindset and we're also in business together. So I am curious on your words of wisdom for, for those people that are like you, that are growth mindset, entrepreneurial, that are potentially balancing a relationship with someone who is not of the same mindset. You know, what are the words of wisdom there to keep things, you know, or keep the communication open, but also helping them to kind of appreciate and understand the lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I think that I love relationships, intimate ones, and I love business partnerships. And apparently you have the same thing in in one, which is great. Just because they, <laughs> they, they force you to grow together and reflect and sort of shine a light on your own blind spots. And I think that having very direct, open, honest conversations on a frequent basis that are sort of set as review periods. And so for instance, with my business partner, and partners that I've had in the past, as well as my fiance, we have all have sort of like fixed intervals in which we're 
we sort of create open space for that relationship to be examined and for critiques to be brought to the table. And that, and like you also have to be open to receiving that feedback and it does not go both ways unless you don't do that. So, I mean, I think that a business partnership is very close to intimate relationship in that way. Or like there's too much on the line. There's a separate thing of the business that, that if you're not having these sort of points where you're, where you're chatting with each other and figuring out what's going on, is this working? Is this not working? The business is going to die. The same thing with a, with an intimate relationship. The relationship is the third third thing and that thing will die if you're not doing this and getting everything out in the open and chatting about it yeah um, and i think that like, that's just uh, whether you're in a relationship with somebody who's the same type or a different type or whatever like all that stuff will surface you know this goes by this th- thing i was saying earlier of, of reflecting and being honest with yourself and with the other person on an on a continuous basis just over and over and over again i think that life is so busy and so crazy right now where if you're not doing that, no matter if it's assessing the values and goals in your business, is this relationship working? Like how do we, how do we improve here and reflecting frequently and taking that time and carving that time out, you're, you're going to get swept up in the current of life mm-hmm. and society and life and your friends or investors or whatever is going to, is going to, like, you're going to wake up one day, you're going to look back and say, why the hell am I here? What's going on with my life? Mm-hmm. And that, that's some of the most important things. just like, and even within work, like I do not and have never sacrificed that time of reflection, getting rid of devices, having some solitude with either myself or other people, and actually thinking about, okay, what just happened? Is this what I want? Is, you know, where are we going here? Yeah. And so, I mean, whether it's in relationships or, you know, with yourself or with other people, it's yeah. critical. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just love where you went with that because, you know, one of the final questions I wanted to ask is, you know, I know that you had just made a move and, You've been in Austin and, you know, you made this very big decision to have a lifestyle change and obviously to hire a CEO for your company. And I know that some of the people that are going to be listening today are people that are maybe listening to this going, hey, I'm that practitioner that's working that six and a half days a week. And I love to build things too. And I actually get the most excited about creating the the systems and seeing my business run. But whoa, like that seems like such a far-fetched idea to transition into that. Or I've always wanted to have a telehealth practice and to move my practice completely online or whatever the case may be, whatever big change that looks like. You know, what are some of the words of wisdom for those people that are not fulfilled in this current moment, but are maybe apprehensive about taking that step towards what they really want? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. First, I would say if I can do that and be removed from that and do well, you can do that. <laughs> if I can blaze that trail, like I um, trust me, I think it, it's possible for me. <laughs> not, not special there. Um, to get started immediately, like don't wait. This is one of those things that people just put off forever. Um, three, actually, a couple of years ago, right when we were transitioning out of practice, my best friend from grad school, his name's Ryan DeBell. Uh, also, uh, Kyra, he, I focused on nutrition, started making all these products and scaling with online businesses. And for me, what's important was creating time freedom, um, location freedom, and financial freedom. So like, those are the three things I optimized for that I think were really draining me in, in my practice. Um, him sort of the same way. He focused on movement stuff. And so he built all these online courses and products and everything. And we actually did 50 or 60 podcasts on this called health fit business. Mm-hmm. It's been a couple of years since we've done anything, but that I mean, we've documented a lot of stuff. And like, cause we both were in the same point, left our practices and did this and sort of like laid out every single way somebody could do this and structured it. Um, and so, I mean, I think that stuff's still available. I'm not sure. I haven't checked on that in a while, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah we, we put out you know, hundreds of hours free. Like everything's free. It's like, you don't have to buy anything. Uh, and yeah, it's like if, if anybody's interested, start there, listen to all of our podcasts, reach out to me with any questions. Um, it's very possible. And don't, don't feel guilty. Like, don't feel guilty that you have student loans or you invested. I mean, like your time and your energy to be this person in this role, you can reinvent yourself whenever you want and make the life you want at any time. Um, it, 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 
can be done and it has been done. So, I mean, if that's what you want, reflect and get after it. And I think one thing too is, you know, not to completely disclose, but you're young. <laughs> You've yeah. been like... Just turned 32. Yeah. So you have been able to learn these lessons at such a young age, but also, you know, there's many people that are still in their 50s that are apprehensive about doing what they truly want and really serving themselves. So I think that that's just a testament to, you know, put your mind to something and that, you know, if it really resonates and it's really, you know, what you want, it's within your values, then you can make it happen. And you know, truly have the life that you love. Yeah. And that's subject to change too. You know, I think that my, my concept of what I want out of life is shifting a lot over the last couple of months, mm -hmm. uh, which is okay. I think that, you know, I, 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 I hope my preferences change. I hope that yeah. I don't want the same things that I wanted when I was 14. Like I hope I don't listen to the same music. Yeah. You know? be a really weird person right now if that's the case. So <laughs> the same thing with the rest of your life, like what you do for work, maybe it's, a, maybe it is the same. Maybe it is the same from when you're 16 all the way through when you're 60. Maybe it changes. It's not a big deal. Like change is okay. I think that when people try to resist change is when you get into the most amount of problems. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, it's so, 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 so true. So it's just knowing that things are going to change and that's totally cool. And be able to roll with it and not be intimidated by it. Because so many of us get so intimidated by change. But, you know, it's really just a part of life at the end of the day. <laughs> yep. Change, Ryan and I say that change is the only constant. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've been through a lot of crazy stuff in the last I don't know four or five years since we've been out of practice. Yeah, I love it. Well, this was awesome. I really, really appreciate your time. I think this is going to be super helpful and super motivational to a lot of our listeners. And it's really amazing what you've done and what you've created. And I'm super excited to see what you continue to create because you are like. All right, let's do this now. <laughs> so, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening and being here with us. Um, I will definitely give you access to what he mentioned about his awesome series that he did. Um, if you have the link, if you can find it anywhere, we'll definitely share that with the audience. Yeah, I think, well. I think it's healthfit.biz is the website and then healthfit business podcast. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for being with us. This was awesome. You've reached the end of another episode of the Integrative Entrepreneur Podcast. Connect with us at integrativegrowthinstitute.com. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. If you love today's episode of Integrative Entrepreneur Podcast, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you.